You know what I've been thinking about lately? My dad always says it's hotter than a monkey outside whenever it's really warm, but he doesn't have an equivalent phrase for when it, whenever it's really cold out. He just goes, <laughs> so I've been thinking about what the opposite of a monkey is. Why? Why is it hotter than a monkey? I don't know. What? That's what he's always said. I don't know why he says it or what mm. it means. Probably just something my dad made up. <laughs> I think it's a dad saying. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 18, Moon's Eye. And the epigraph for this chapter is talking about Moon's Eye itself and the last big events that happened there. <laughs> Basically, it's a small fortified place, but due to the treaty that King Chivalry formerly King and Waiting Chivalry <laughs> yes. uh, made with Prince Rurisk of the Mountain Kingdom. A lot of the walls and the warlike nature of that fort came down. But since he uh, was in disgrace there, they discovered his six-year-old child there, and he went back and, and abdicated. And Prince Regal took over the kingdom. The walls have gone back up. It's been a little bit more defensive. Right. Um, it also talks about how it is a trade stronghold. So it both gives trade to the mountains and opens up the mountains to trade with the duchies. So it was once a beautiful, artful place. <laughs> Lots of stuff going on there at one time. But I did want to say that I always find it so interesting to be reminded that technically chivalry was there when Fitz was found. Yeah, yeah, he was. And he left without seeing his son in person that we know of. That we know of, yes. He could have seen him during the night or whatever. Or like in glimpses, I guess. But it's like, I guess it makes sense because how else would Burek be there? But that's really sad. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't like that he immediately left. I wish he would have stayed and said hello to Fitz or something. I don't know. And so Fitz is marched on towards Moon's Eye. He is walking bound and trudging through the cold right. and using all of his concentration just to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving. Yes, he is constantly guarded with like six guards. None of them talk in his presence, so he can't even pass the day with listening to idle gossip. They do play a dice game. But other than that, it's pretty boring. He also mentions that Burl was true to his word, that no no one was unnecessarily cruel to him. And he's not really sure how Burl managed that because nobody likes him. <laughs> so it must be like Regal doesn't want his pet touched yet. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming as well. He also mentions that he doesn't know and he was kept sequestered and he doesn't know any of the fates of Starling or the Pilgrims or Kettle or anyone else at the moment. 
And he has a lot of thoughts about what they did to Starling, breaking her fingers, and a lot of empathy for her in his thoughts, even though at the end of the last chapter, he was saying, oh, she betrayed me anyways and trying to keep that cold front. But right. we, I mean, we all know that Fitz is a softie at heart <laughs> and is out there to help anybody. And he, even though is outwardly cold to Starling a bit, he's the warmest that we've seen him to another human being for like a year. So, right. Right. So he does have, um, Fond feelings for her. Right. And, and he, is worried. Right. And he is hoping that somebody at least set her fingers straight um, to give it the best chance of healing. But he, again, has no idea. And so during the night, as Emma mentioned, the guards, six guards settle down in this tent. They don't like let him speak. No one talks to him. They play dice or whatever. And he kind of. Settles down and tries to get some sleep, but not before questing out towards Night Eyes. He revealed himself as if stepping through a curtain and seemed amused at my shock. He was quite close by, Fitz noticed, and right. he kind of asks him, like, how long have you been able to do that? <laughs> and Night Eyes just kind of says, I've been able to do it for a while. You know, I've been giving thought to what the bear man told us, meaning Rolf. And when we were apart, I came to know I had a life of my own. I found a place of my own in my mind. I sensed a hesitancy at his thought, as if he expected me to rebuke him for it. Instead, I embraced him, wrapping him in the warmth I felt for him. I feared you would die. I fear the same for you now. Almost humbly, he added, but I lived. And now at least one of us is free to rescue the other. So this is an interesting revelation that Night Eyes has found a piece of himself that he doesn't give to Fitz. Which um, is good. <laughs> yes, very good. I'm glad. But I think it's very important to point out because if you remember in the very beginning, granted Night Eyes was a puppy at this point, he could not understand why Fitz would want time alone and to have privacy from him. He was always with Fitz. And I don't think I realized how close the connection is mm -hmm. until he said, I found a piece of me that was separate that I can keep separate. And I think that's really good. It shows that there was a lot of growth between them. Um, the time yeah. part was very important for them both. Yes. And this is in this little sentence here, a couple lines that Night Eyes says, it really does demonstrate what Black Rolf says, that you're like too intertwined yes. later on that we learn. I think that's after Fitz is talking about going back after this book right. and training. <laughs> but he always says you're way too intertwined, you mm -hmm. know, separate yourselves. And they don't understand because they it's were both how it is. too immature and too young to bond when they first bonded. Right. And they grew up just being fully engrossed in each other's minds. And it's yeah. not healthy. No. But it is good to remember that probably they are so entwined more so because of Night Eye's youngness when they met. Not that Fitz had any idea what he was doing. I'm not trying to insinuate that. But I think because Night Eyes wasn't really his own self yet, he was a puppy. He was ripped from his mother's den he probably latched on more to Fitz and that it was easier of a transition to become one because he hadn't known what it was to be himself yet. He was young. I see that. Um, I, I think, I mean, 
I think it's fairly mutual, especially in that yeah. particular chapter where they do meet and the subsequent ones where they bond because of Fitz's intense loneliness, which runs throughout all of the stories of his yes. and how he needs something to latch on to. And right. they found each other at the perfect time. And right, it was meant to be, but not super healthy. <laughs> right. But I do think that Fitz still at least had some some type of sense of self that Night Eyes was lacking. I don't think it was fully developed because Fitz is also very young when they meet. And he doesn't know who he is or no, but his I think allegiance or anything. More so than Night Eyes. So yeah. there that's how there could be a little bit of separation on Fitz's side and why Night Eyes had like no understanding of what that why yeah. you would want that. Yeah. So Night Eyes talks with Fitz and Fitz then gets worried and says, you know, hey, don't let them see you. They will attack you, too. They know. And Night Eyes promises to be safe. And then it is time to continue moving on. And again, this is one of those passages where uh, a number of days pass. Because Fitz eventually says, at the end of each day's march, I was confined to a swiftly pitched tent fed and then ignored until the next day's rising. So they're marching for a long while here. He is sharing thoughts with Night Eyes and hunting with him at night, trying to get some rest, but basically just focusing on himself and getting through without stumbling during the days. Right. And he does mention that he is fed, but just enough to keep him upright, not really to excess he's not getting necessarily full from these feedings yes but night eyes on the other hand is hunting well he's finding game easily and he's regaining his old strength yes which is good because he was very weakened from that that river yes and one of these nights night eyes warns fitz that there are hunters or stalkers around them he smells smoke to Mm -hmm. warn him so there's an attack on the camp that burl and the king's guard have set up fires are um, set and bows are fired and immediately burl is yelling about hey they're trying to get fits um, they're after him guard him at all costs and that's the main concern of everyone there right and the, a lot of the guards there are too scared to go confront the archers, so they just hide. Are they scared, or do they have a deal? I think a little bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> Fitz mentions that he thinks they would fight if it the situation demanded it, but potentially they have a deal going on where they'll look the other way. And... Fitz can analyze this situation because he's a little bit more removed, even though he is, you know, in danger from flying arrows. But he says or thinks to himself that neither he nor Burl were the targets of this attack right. or this raid. We should also add that Burl's tent went up in flames with Burl's clothing. And Burl had said, if they try to take the bastard kill him right so Fitz is face down in the dirt at this moment looking through Night Eyes's eyes to see mm, I'm not their target 
And so this is where they're kind of cowering down. The Kingsguard, Fitz notices, are hiding underneath wagons or in the shadows of tents. And he suspects that Captain Mark had not been the only man to have an arrangement with the smugglers, which we learn later is true. Right. There's a long history of bribery and relationship with the old guard at Moon's Eye that comes into conflict with Burl's arrival. So they set up all this, all this distraction and these raids, and all of a sudden everything stops, and Burl immediately roars out for the sergeant, demanding to know if Fitz was still with them. And he looks, <laughs> the sergeant looks around at his men, warning them not to basically not to speak about how they had just kind of like cowered there and said, no, we kept them well off of Fitz. We did a great job holding them back. Right. (laughs) And they had a miserable night, but were able to move on afterwards because they were not the target. Right. It was the pilgrims. It was. And it is learned that Starling was also saved in this raid. Yes. Which makes Fitz begrudgingly glad. He doesn't want to be happy about Nick getting free, but he's glad that Nick at least had the honor honor to take the others with him, including Starling. Yes. And the fact that Starling is missing makes Burl feel more sure that he is right, that they were after Fitz. Clearly, that's why she's gone now. But they have him and everyone's gone. And eventually they march and get to Moon's Eye. Right. But my question is, once everybody's gone, why doesn't Fitz try to fight or get out or leave? I mean, he's still he describes himself as still surrounded by guards and cuffed pretty much 24 seven. So right. But I don't know. He's also left in the corner of a tent while they all play dice It's not like it would be impossible for him to get out and they have nothing to hold over his head anymore. So I don't know why he doesn't just like, well, I'll run with shackles on. I don't know. (laughs) He does say, well, uh, Fitz does say Burl tripled the guard around me for the rest of that night, the night of the raid and for the next two days journey to Moon's Eye. So there's like 18 guards surrounding him. (laughs) I guess I just. I want him to be able to get out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, he does. <laughs> he does eventually. Spoiler alert, you know? How dare you? <laughs> I was so curious. <laughs> <laughs> they do make it to Moon's Eye, and Fitz is very curious looking around this town because he knows his history, and this is where his grandfather dropped him off. And he knew uh, a little bit about the history of Moon's Eye from lessons with Fedrin, that had been an important military outpost for the six duchies before it had become a stopping place for caravans bound for the other side of the mountains. Now traders in amber and furs and carved ivory passed through Moon's Eye on a regular basis and enriched it in their passing, or so it had been years uh, since my father had succeeded in negotiating an open pass treaty with the Mountain Kingdom, but Regal's new hostilities had changed all that, and Moonzai had reverted to the military holding it had been through his grandfather's day. This is so interesting to me because back-to-back Fitz uses the word grandfather. Back-to-back about the two different grandfathers he has had in his life. Neither of which I would think 
he has that friendly of a relationship with. I don't believe he called his grandfather his grandfather until he passed away. Right. Like the king, yeah. I should say. King Shrewd. Yes. He does mention the man who brought him as his grandfather. But it's not necessarily, I guess, a loving term. It's just that's, that's his must title. be who he was. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't know his name. I think I think he is called Shrewd Grandfather in passing in his head in previous books, but not very often. Yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily just more of like an acknowledgement. This right. man is my grandfather, but, but not as a title. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's why I just found it so interesting that I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be his grandfather Shrewd who during his time it was a military holding and then yes. his grandfather the one that brought him but i guess it could be just the one grandfather you know yeah. technically i'm i'm pretty sure with the context of talking about his father chivalry and regal's new hostilities in the same like part as my grandfather's day right i don't know is talking about shrewd it's just so interesting to me to i guess to see fitz sentimental i don't know if that's a i'd call it but it is a more friendly term for his family i mean he even called his dad his father which is pretty rare for him true so maybe it's because he knows that he's caught and he's like oh lovingly remembering the people that he'll soon join but (laughs) but he's not actually caught i don't know i just found that detail interesting so he's walking through this city looking for any landmark or sign that would bring to him any memory that he had of Moonzai in the past. But to Fitz, Moonzai looked both as strange and as familiar as any small town he had ever visited. So nothing comes to mind and he just passes through it. And the town was thick with soldiers, he notices. A lot of tents and lean-tos have been thrown up against every wall. It looked as if the population had recently increased a great deal. This is important a little bit later when Fitz learns why these hostilities with the smugglers were happening and why the next attack comes and things like that, because Brill brought a lot of new soldiers to town that were not aware of a lot of the deals going on behind the scenes. Right. But also it is an indication of what we've been hearing for the last couple chapters, and that's Regal's preparation to go to war. Right. It's his little planting of seeds of, you know, the rumors and then cutting off trade and blaming the mountain kingdom and bringing soldiers up here and then saying, you know, they're attacking our traders and they're getting lost. And now there's a very, very sizable force at Moon's Eye. Right. It's definitely interesting to see at Regal does know how military works, considering he doesn't help the Out Island or sorry, the outer duchies against the Out Islanders. But I guess that's because he doesn't care and he already has made a deal with Robert Rob Red. Robbeard? Rob Red. Rob Red. I don't know. Why. Every single time. I I just want to say Robbeard. That seems more piratey. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, that's the next trilogy, Emma. (laughs) Come on. I'm just very excited because they're so close. (laughs) So it's also interesting to point out that clearly the atmosphere in this town isn't great because the people as he's being dragged through town 
are kind of looking, but not directly and not in a way that would normally happen if you had a large procession of soldiers coming through the streets. And Fitz makes the note of, I wonder when it became better to not ask questions about the King's Guard. Yeah. And anything to do with the King's business in general. Right. Which probably pretty quickly. Yeah. If I know Regal and how he runs things and how the coterie runs things. Right. And just how corrupt his entire system of enforcers is. Yeah, because we've we've heard a lot of things that were bad about the Kingsguard, but a lot of stuff is is going to happen at the end of this chapter that comes to light as well. Right. Particularly what we were talking about in the previous chapters were these guards going into towns when we met Black Rolf, bullying people, stealing money from them all in the name of the king. Right. And because this king doesn't care about the little people, they can get away with it. Yeah, they're basically brigands, highwaymen with power and the the king's authority behind them. Yeah, it's real rough for the six Sudgies people. But also, I mean, the people that are here are the worst of the worst, question mark. We did get that last chapter with Fitz trying to smart mouth Burl about how. Yeah, it's basically basically the place that no one wants to get sent to because they send you there to get rid of you. <laughs> it's the outer wall. Yeah, basically. Yeah, the Game of Thrones, <laughs> the wall, it's the exile place. I have never seen or read that, but I know the wall. <laughs> so he's thrown into a prison cell and he says, as prisons go, it was one of the nicest ones I've ever been in. <laughs> right. This is clearly not for hardened criminals. This is Probably like a more, drunk tank. Yeah, kind of thing. more likely yeah. for drunk soldiers. But he says it was warm in there and he there's a couple guards, soldiers in there guarding him who are strictly warned not to talk to him, as we learn later. And he's just kind of sitting in jail now. Right. He also is surprised because for dinner he's given meat, bread and ale, which is pretty nice for a prisoner meal. <laughs> and... There's an old man who hands him this tray, and when Fitz says thank you, it startles the man a bit, and he makes the the remark that Fitz has his father's voice and eyes, which I thought was really interesting. And he shuts the door in Fitz's face rather hastily, and no one spoke further to him. And they're playing dice in there. So we know... And we'll talk more later about how this old man actually doesn't like chivalry that much. But do you think he felt guilty for doing this to chivalry's lookalike? Mm, I don't think so. I I feel like uh, we'll we'll discuss it again, like you said, a little bit later. But I feel like this man was kind of like let down by chivalry mm. or has ill feelings in some sort. So he's been a guard for a lot of his time, I would guess, because it's an, he's described as an old man, but he's been at Moon's Eye and he's guarding like the prison here. <laughs> right. When chivalry was there, which was 20 years ago. Right. So I'm assuming he's tenured <laughs> and yeah. he does what he's told. And if Fitz chivalry is a traitor, then he's a traitor. Mm. Okay. So night comes on and Fitz is kind of settling into 
prison life, trying to size up the place, get some details on the people that are guarding him. There's uh, four people, one older man, one young boy, and two two soldiers, like seasoned soldiers there as well. All of them were awake. There was some tension in between one of the soldiers and the younger boy bullying slash teasing. Right. He does make note that the guard that is bullying slash teasing the younger boy looks like a brawler. He has a lot of scars, more than Fitz has. So Fitz is a little wary of him. And he was obviously in command of the other two. So the young boy and the other soldier. The old man seems to be just like the key holder at this prison. Right. He's not necessarily part of the group. So he's overhearing a lot of this gossip while they're playing dice or they're just talking. And he hears that he wished the king would cut their leash and let them loose on the mountain whores thieving cutthroats. He knew they could cut a path to Jean Pay and take that tree fort town in a matter of days. Where was the sense in waiting? On and on he ranted. The others nodded to it as a, as a litany they knew well. I slipped away from the window and returned to my bed to think. So again, the sentiment runs deep that it's Ketrickin's fault. It is, she's back to just the mountain woman. And they can just easily cut a swath through the mountain kingdom, win this war and, and take the whole thing. Right. It's very interesting that they think that they have the upper hand in the middle of winter on the people who live in the winter town, but okay. Um, <laughs> they are clearly victims of propaganda, although maybe they just don't like people that aren't their own anyway. We don't know. It is interesting, though, that it has been less than a year since Regal has taken over, and already this is a matchbox waiting to light literally later. <laughs> But also figuratively in the sense that war is brewing and Regal has done a really good job of getting his men pretty hyped for it. Yeah, but you do have to also keep in mind, uh, I know we spoke about this a few episodes ago, many episodes ago, that he spent a couple of years touring the inner duchies, preparing his way for this and striking sentiment against Verity and Ketrickin. That's Yeah, I guess you're right. He's been at this propaganda machine for a long time. Now that he's king, his words carry a lot more weight. Yes, he's from the inner duchies, so his words carry more weight than the outer duchy farcier family. Yes, but he has been at this for a while. And while it's incredibly impressive in a gross way that he's gotten his kingdom ready for war or wanting to go to war. Right. They're like itching for it. it. Yeah, it's still he has been at work. For this, even if it wasn't fully his plan to go it this direction, the option was there because he spread so many bad rumors. Yeah, that's true. I guess you could really convince people to fight anybody if you're constantly saying everybody but you is bad. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. I, guess, I mean, this is directly because of the quote unquote punishment where he had to get funds from the inner duchies. <sighs> Verity, Verity, Verity. If he hadn't done that, they probably wouldn't have been able to build all the ships, though. Because Regal did manage stuff. He did get (laughs) money. (laughs) Yeah, but I think they would have... I don't know. I don't know. 
No way to know. <laughs> he talks to Night Eyes a bit here. Night Eyes kind of chimes in, says, nice cage. And they catch up a little bit. Fitz says that he's fed decently well. And Night Eyes asks, will you escape soon? Just kind of. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's going to happen. Will you do it soon? Kind of thing. Yeah. And Fitz says he's going to work on it. And he kind of studies his cell here. And starts talking to the guards outside, just asking for some water. And while the guards respond to him, they're kind of yelled at like, hey, we're not supposed to talk to him at all. Right. Well, they're not yelled at because it's the boy who reminds them. And it's the brawler that's in charge. That's the one talking. So Fitz stays at the door of his cell, gripping the bars, and he kind of keeps that post for the next few days as well, gripping the bars there. Right. He is working on loosening them, but he's also trying to wear down the guard. So he had previously asked, before the guard was yelled at for talking to him, um, how long he's going to stay there. And the guard replies confidently, until you're dead. This brings Fitz into his night-long tirade of... You know, I'm just a scapegoat. It's not as bad as it seems. You guys know how it is. The big dogs always have to blame somebody, and it just happens to be me this time. And he notes that he doesn't think that it's worth his time to try to make them think he's actually innocent, because he's not, and that's never going to fly. But maybe there's a chance that if he just pushes it off as like, you guys know how it is, it wasn't that bad. It was just, they got to blame somebody, and I guess it's me. And... It's not really working. He kind of just talks to himself. The sergeant is very convinced um, not to talk to him, not to be drawn into his conversations, because that's how a witted one gets you into his power, by drawing you into talk. That's how he killed Bolt and his troop. And Fitz, in that tirade, that, that monologue that Emma was talking about, says, you know, I met Bolt once. You guys knew Bolt. Do you think I could take him on one by one? Like, right. come on. I couldn't kill him. Also, if I could get out of this, wouldn't I have already? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, like Emma said, he doesn't think that he can convince them that he's innocent, but he's repeating these stories of his life. He's repeating things from his past that he sure is going to get circulated around camp as well but he's talking the whole time to cover up the sound of him twisting the bars in his grip right he also does say that if anything hopefully it proves to them that the wit can't do anything just by you talking to somebody with the wit right which truly doesn't make sense to me personally i guess i have more knowledge of what the wit is than anybody else in this world seems to that doesn't have the wit but they do know that it's beast magic. So why on earth would they think beast there's, magic can There's a lot of humans? stories of people getting like lured in or hypnotized or whatever. Um, mm. I think that com- goes back to the piebald prince where the princess who was <clears throat> in the story told by the people who hate witted people, she was assaulted. Yes. But there's... I don't know. I haven't read the short story, The Piebald Prince, so I I could be just theorizing here. But like. There's a lot of room for like they actually could have had a regular relationship. Yeah, Yeah. that (laughs) was nothing to do. Yeah, but there's a lot of story that comes from that. 
particularly that, oh, I was lured in and drawn like I couldn't stop myself kind of thing. Right. Like almost hypnotized kind of magical power. So I think a lot of it stems from that fear of they can make you do what you what they want. Right. Before they turn into a beast and eat you. Right. I guess I think it's just interesting because the skill exists and like I know people don't super know what the skill is or how it works. They know it's farseer magic, but don't they know it's mind magic? I don't think so. I think they literally know that it's magic. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's literally like the, the Royal magic, the, the farseer's skill. It's, it's something to help out. And that's why people didn't understand what Verity was doing. Right. Because they said, Oh, he's just sitting, wasting away, not doing anything. Yeah. Oh, sure. He's using the skill, but people are still dying. It doesn't, seem to be doing anything because they don't know what he's actually doing right i guess that's fair but now i just have (laughs) an image of like people in crowns and like dressed up like royalty just like pulling rabbits out of their hats (laughs) just being like yes the royal magic (laughs) may i have a volunteer to cut in half please (laughs) regal (laughs) at night at the end of that day after his evening evening meal of cheese and porridge, which seems a very breakfasty meal to me, mm-hmm. but whatever, I'm not the one. I feel like it. cheese and porridge is gross. If it was cheese and grits, mm, that sounds good. But <laughs> porridge, <laughs> grits is basically a porridge. No, grits is it's basically corn. Is it corn? Yeah, it's it's like like cornmeal corn yeah. or something. I don't know. But oats are I don't know. Two completely different flavors, if you ask me. (laughs) So he lowers his skill walls and tries to reach out with that to try to save himself, to try to do something with that, to gain some sort of edge. But he feels nothing. He tries again and again. He cannot connect to the skill at this moment. So he has to give that up. And Night Eyes chimes in. That leaves the wit. He felt very near. I don't really see how that is going to help me either, I confided to him. Nor do I, but I have dug out a spot under the wall in case you are able to get out of your cage. It was not easy, for the ground is frozen and the logs of the wall were buried deep. But if you can get out of the cage, I can get you out of the city. That is wise planning, I praised him. At least one of us was doing something. Do you know where I den tonight? There was suppressed merriment in the thought. Where do you den? I asked ob- obediently. Right under your feet. There was just space enough for me to crawl under hi- under here. Night eyes, this is foolish boldness. You may be seen or the marks of your digging discovered. A dozen dogs have been here before me. No one will mark my coming and going. I have used the evening to see much of this men's warren. All of the buildings have spaces beneath them. It is very easy to slip from one to another. Be careful, I warned him but could not deny there was comfort in knowing him so close. And Fitz passes an uneasy night. And the next morning, he tries his same thing to the old man. He tries to talk to him to ease his fears (laughs) of being a witted bastard. Right. But I think it's interesting to get this insight from Night Eyes that Night Eyes has... Number one, planned ahead, which is big. That's not very wolf-like of him. Right. And number two is 
not being very cautious. He's directly under Fitz's feet. That's typical of night. Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. I think he'd be a little bit more wary of people normally, personally. But I just think it's really interesting because Night Eyes really has grown. He's much more yeah. efficient at <laughs> helping Fitz. But also, he's become a little bit more human. And he did mention that he missed some of the things about being with humans when he was with the wolves. But it is interesting to go from Night Eyes constantly chiding Fitz even just six months ago about live in the now. It doesn't matter if it hurts you, put it away. And now it's like, okay, well, if you're going to work on a way to get out of here, I'm going to go work on a way for you once you leave the building. Right. I don't know. Just very, very cool to see that development. This is where the old man comes back in saying that he doesn't like chivalry. Fitz says, so you knew my father, I observed as he maneuvered my food through the bars. You know, I have no memories of him. He never spent any time with me. Count your blessings, then, the old man replied shortly, knowing the prince was not the same as liking him. Stiff as a stick he was, rules and orders for us while he was out making bastards. Yes, I knew your father. I knew him too well for my comfort. He turned away from the bars, dashing any hopes I had of making him an ally. I wonder if... You know, this old man was a huge partier and like didn't follow rules super well when he was younger and in the company of Prince Chivalry. And so Prince Chivalry was constantly berating him or like punishing him for his behavior. We know that Chivalry's punishments weren't like crazy or anything based off of how he treated Burek. But if you like doing nothing... <laughs> It would be very annoying to have to suddenly do work. So I wonder if that's part of it of just like, oh, I was always getting in trouble because I was never living up to standards. And here he was being a human, see, making one mistake. See, I could I can see that. But I mean, th there's no way of knowing because I in my head, I had thought that maybe this old man looked up to Prince Chivalry and said, this is somebody who I can follow and I really want to be like him, try to stick to every rule, and then found out that he was disobeying his own rules, he abdicated and thrown in disgrace, and it left a sour taste in his mouth. Interesting. Now, the old man's history could be either way from, it could be a different thing even. Right. It's it's hard to tell, and it's that's one of the, the good parts about rereading and kind of discussing these, because... We both have very different thoughts about what this yeah. old man's history could be. I never thought about it as like a, I looked up to him once. I definitely saw this as like, he always punished me. And now all of a sudden, Goody Two Shoes has a kid. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. That night, Night Eyes wakes Fitz up saying, smoke, a lot of it. I sat up in my bed. I went to the barred window and peered out. The old man was asleep in his cot. The boy and the brawler were playing at dice while the other man carved at his nails with a belt knife. All was calm. So Night Eyes goes to inspect this. Right. Everything's pretty calm. No, no alarm has been cried yet. Night Eyes is the one to detect it. And he says that a big grain building has caught on fire. And as he's sneaking about, he sees a couple more fires. And more. And he's sneaking around. And Fitz eventually says, come back to me. Perhaps we can use this to our advantage. And all of a sudden, 
Night Eyes says, Wait moves purposely up the street, slipping from building to building as he went. And soon he was looking at another fire. This one was eating eagerly into a covered pile of hay at the back of a barn. Fitz realizes that this is also, like, very, very odd. Yes. Specifically because it's, like, in a covered location, and he knows somebody is setting these fires and immediately yells to Night Eyes, come back to me now. Yeah. It's a little scary because at first it's feasible that, like, an accident happened. There is some a building caught on fire and maybe the embers of that fire hit a building nearby right. or whatever. But now it's a lot of fires and it is eerily quiet out there. Something is wrong. And Fitz has no way of knowing how this will turn out for him. Clearly it's not Regal's men. I don't think Fitz is thinking that it could no, be, no. but it's still unsure. Like who is it then? Yes. And on not his way back, he saw another fire nibbling at a pile of oily rags stuffed under the corner of a barracks. Right. Now, people specifically setting these fires to do damage. Right. And they're doing it pretty quickly because Night Eyes isn't catching any people running away from this. He's just seeing the f- fires as they have freshly been lit. Mm-hmm. Fitz does make mention in his head that if the fires burned undetected much longer, all of Moon's Eye would be a cinder by morning, and I with it if I were still locked in my cell. How many guard you? Night Eyes asks. Four, and a locked door. One of them will have the key. Wait, let us see if our odds get better, or they may open the door to move me. Somewhere in the cold town, a man raised his voice in a shout. The first fire had been spotted. I stood inside my cell, listening with Night Eyes' ears. Gradually, the outcry increased until even the guards outside my door stood, asking one another, What's that? And they discover the fire, and people are running past in the street. Fire! Fire down by the granary! Bring buckets! And the guards on the inside are kind of asking, like, hey, should should we go? Like, should I go? And the brawler, the sergeant, says, no, you stay here while I go. Stay alert. And the boy is staring after him because he wants to go out and fight fires. Right. He wants to see what the excitement is about. He's sad and he notices all... more fires as well. Yeah, he was sad that the action is so far away. But it doesn't take long for that action to catch up because fires spread quick. Yeah, The other soldier leaves as well, um, running out to help fight the fires, tells the boy once again to stay there. So it's just the old man and the boy in this prison while the other two soldiers have left. Fitz asks how bad it's looking, and the boy without thinking responds that he can't see much, just flames beyond the stables, and then immediately is like, hey, don't talk to me. And Fitz starts trying to reason with him, saying, you know, how far away is the granary? I don't want to burn to death. Do you? Let's get out. (laughs) Come cuff me now so it'll be easier later. Yeah, they did leave you the keys, didn't they? The boy glanced immediately toward the old man. His hand made an involuntary twitch toward his pouch as if to be sure he had them still, but neither made a reply. So it was a clever ask because Fitz now knows who has the key and where it is. Right. And they're still quiet and refusing Fitz any talking, basically. And Fitz keeps chiming in with these 
terrible thoughts that they're probably thinking, but vocalizing them, saying, it's spreading, isn't it? A winter fire is a terrible thing. Everything dry as bones. Come and bind my hands now and take me out of here. None of us wants to be in this building if the flames come this far. A glance from the boy. I'm not stupid, he told me. I won't be the one to die for letting you go free. Burn where you stand, bastard, for all I care, the old man added. So they're very stubborn, and they are not wanting to move Fitz at all. Right. They don't care about him, but they are very concerned about the fire. Right. And to their defense a little bit, I'm sure defying King Regal, if you were the one who let Fitz slip through your fingers, yeah, that's probably a straight death sentence. And not just death quick and over and easy, probably King's Circle death. And they know how bad that is because they put people there all the time. So <laughs> I get their fear and like unwillingness completely to help Fitz. It's really unfortunate. And I don't think that makes them like great people, but I definitely right. get where they're coming from. Yeah. Poor Fitz though. <laughs> I I would have to assume that he's getting a little bit more anxious the more that they say no. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Even though he sounds so calm, cool and collected. <laughs> The boy is still standing in the doorway and there are men still rushing past, yelling to the boy like, hey, there's fighting over in the market. And as those people rush past and the boy and the old man are kind of getting close to the door, they stumble back into the room because Night Eyes is in front of them then, growling and showing every tooth he had, quote. (laughs) (laughs) He filled the door and blocked their escape. Unlock the door of my cell and he won't hurt you, I offered them. Instead, the boy drew his sword. He was good. He did not wait for the wolf to come in, but charged at him, weapons leveled, forcing Night Eyes to back out of the door. Night Eyes avoided the blade easily, but he no longer had them cornered. The boy followed up his advantage, stepping out into the darkness to follow the wolf. The second the door was no longer blocked, the old man slammed it. Are you going to stay in here and burn alive with me? I asked him conversationally. In an instant, he had decided. Burn alone, he spat at me. He flung the door open again and raced outside. Night Eyes, he's the one with the key, the old one who runs away. I'll get it. And Fitz is left alone in his prison. Right, with fires raging around him. Well, yes, fires raging around (laughs) in the town around him, and he feels his cell getting a little bit hotter. Yeah, he's not quite sure if that's in his mind or not, but either way, he wants out. And honestly, I'm surprised he's not having a panic attack. Because you would think with his history of being trapped in a cage, this was would awaken something. But maybe it's that cool calm that comes over you whenever something needs to be done. Like, you just can't freak out because if you do, you know that's way worse. He's I, had training I, yeah, for a lot of this. True. Yeah, But he hasn't had training after his, like, trauma. True. So that's why I was true. very surprised. I, I mean, to be fair, I am a person who in crisis immediately gets very calm and just does what I need to do and then freaks out the second things have calmed down. But it is like interesting to see Fitz also react this way. He tries the bars of the door and one of them feels a little bit loose. So he pries out one end and then eventually gets out the whole bar. A lot of good that'll do because he (laughs) notes that even if he got all the bars out that way, he wouldn't be able to fit through the opening it made. Right. But he uses that to try to bash open the lock on the door, basically. Yeah, he's hoping that he can reach. He can barely touch the top of the, oh, 
nuts. <laughs> I can't think of the, oh, the barricade. That's not what I'm. He says he reached through the window and groped down. His straining fingers encountered a heavy metal bar. He walked his fingertips across it until he came to a lock that secured it in place. Ah, uh, I thought the heavy metal bar was like one of those things that they put. Oh, like a yeah, okay. I don't know what that's called. It's not a lock, but I know what you mean. Like on the back side of a double doors or something, and yeah, in movies. And... Yeah, like usually it's wood, not metal. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know what. I'm doing visual cues. <laughs> this is an audio medium. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he can barely touch that bar that's blocking the door from being open, but there is a lock on that as well. Yeah. Is it a bar keeping it from being open or is it just decoration on the door? Yeah, don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Either way. It is <laughs> a text out. medium and we <laughs> not a visual one, so I'm not sure. <laughs> I have a very hard time imagining this door. I truly... <laughs> I have no idea what the story looks like. <laughs> Your worst nightmare come to life. Right yes. Here. In rushes a Kingsguard. Or so it seems. Fitz says he was blindly bashing his iron bar against the lock and the braces that supported it when the outer door opened. A guard in golden brown strode into the room calling, I've come for the bastard. Then her glance took in the empty room. In a moment, she pushed back her hood and became starling. I stared at her in disbelief. Easier than I'd hoped, she told me with a stark grin. It looked ghastly on her bruised face, more like a snarl. Maybe not, I said faintly. The cell's locked. Her grin became a look of dismay. The back of this building is smoldering. She snatched the bar with her undamaged, unbandaged hand, excuse me. Just as she lifted to smash the lock, Night Eyes appeared in the door. He padded into the room and dropped the old man's pouch on the floor. Blood had darkened the leather. I looked at him, suddenly aghast. You killed him? I took from him what you needed. Hurry. The back of this cage burns. For a moment, I could not move. I looked at Night Eyes and wondered what I was making of him. He had lost some of his clean wildness. Starling's eyes went from him to me to the pouch on the floor. She did not move. And some of what makes you a man is gone from you. We have no time for this, brother. Would you not kill a wolf it would, if it would save my life? I didn't need to answer that. The key is in that pouch, I told Starling. I think this is a bit hypocritical of Fitz. It is, it is. Um, when I, is he not? But yeah. <laughs> This this in particular, though, I, I was surprised on the reread again to see, like, how surprised he is at that. I also hate the he lost some of his clean wildness. Like, what does that even mean, Fitz? Fitz's uh, guilty conscious saying I'm corrupting my yeah, companion. But, like, Night Eyes has killed animals a lot and Forged potentially, uh, yeah, I was going to say people, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I guess they were forged ones, but they're still people. I guess mostly it's in self-defense. And out Islanders during the raid, like, yeah. he's killed people before. This isn't but that was war and not a fleeing old man <laughs> who withheld the key. <laughs> this innocent old man who has never done anything wrong in his life. Yes. yes. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think it, it, it just, like, it is weird to me that this is his reaction. I get it. I do. I think it is in character. It just... 
feels weird. It does. It feels weird just because of what we know their history is. Mm-hmm. But also, like, he's so guilty. Like, he inherits that from Burek. Yeah. So guilty about everything he does is wrong and is right. messing up somebody else's life that he cares for. Right. But I also think it goes back to him putting people on pedestals. Yeah, because he thinks so lowly of himself that everybody else is immediately on this pedestal way high above him. Especially the, the descriptor clean wildness. He's just yeah. like, oh, I'm so dirty. I'm, like, dirtying night eyes away right. from his cleanly wildness it's no longer nature yeah he's an unnatural thing that kills for me <laughs> and Tynas is like bro it's not that deep yeah like, <laughs> like just I'm take the key to save you like <laughs> dude your your cage is on fire so maybe we have this discussion later or? Yeah, like you'd kill a wolf and Fizz is like well yeah i would but like this is different like, that's different it's a dog <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so, so Starling gets the uh, the key in there, unlocks everything, and tells him to gather some blankets and stuff because it is fiercely cold outside as well. Because the winter has come upon them and it's in the north. So smoke is beginning to slink in between the planks of the jail and the cell. And he puts mittens on and grabs his stuff and flees. They find some fallen soldiers at a crossroads and Fitz stops to take the knife and coin pouch of one of the fallen soldiers. Yep. Um, which finally, <laughs> let's loot some people. They're dead. They can't use it. <laughs> this isn't a video game. Even okay, though I well. agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the ground anyway. And he's not the one who killed him this time. So, <laughs> um, But... Yeah, so Fitz has money now. We'll never know how much, so we don't have to try to do the math. <laughs> but they are nearing the gates of a town, and a wagon rolls up, and someone yells, get in, and it's Kettle. Fitz is, of course, very surprised, and she's just like, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not. This is not a happy reunion. This is, let's get out of Dodge quick. <laughs> yes. The gates were ahead. They were unmanned and swinging on their hinges in the wind from the fire. There are uh, bodies around them, and they are fleeing on the wagon, and Fitz is just kind of like, it, it seems like he's in a daze and somewhat in shock of the change of his situation right. in 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> yeah, and just the change of the town. It's in flames. Yeah, Starling was looking behind them and said, it was only supposed to be a diversion, she said in an awestruck voice. I turned to look back. An immense orange glow silhouetted the palisade of Moon's Eye in black. Sparks rose thick as swarming bees into the night sky above it. The roar of flames was like storm winds. As we watched, a building caved in and another wave of sparks rose into the air. So Moon's Eye is really decimated by this fire. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that there are all these lean-tos from the increase of soldiers. Right. It really just kindling things yeah i mean things a little bit more flammable it's also the middle of winter so things are very dry and if they were treated with waterproofing it was going to be some grease of some sort or oil right. right so everything is very flammable at this point yeah including all their food stores that were drying <laughs> yeah. for the winter 
And the food stores are the things like burnt first. So not to be a party pooper, but even if some of the town survives and the people are okay, they're probably going to starve to death because there's no way back across the river where there's food. It is a trade town, though, so they could get more caravans through. From where? Because King Regal isn't letting anybody on that side of the river and they're not allowed to trade with the mountain people. Mm, That's true. So... They won't get anything. Who knows? <laughs> I guess maybe Burl, I mean, Burl can... can send. Yeah. <laughs> can send his thoughts across and say, hey, help, <laughs> help. We will probably I... say just starve to death. But right. I just want to know. I wish I was a fly on the wall of Regal finding out that Fitz got away. That's all I want to like, you know, he's like throwing things across his room. He's so mad. I don't love the idea of having to watch him like punish the people because, you know, he totally like physically damaged people because of this incident. But it would be funny. Just the tantrum. Yeah, the tantrum part. Love to see that. (laughs) So Starling explains the whole kind of plan here that most of that work is Nick's family and just Kettle and I came along for you. So this was not just for you. This was about revenge against those who broke faith with the smugglers. They went in to find them and kill them, and then they left. It's too complicated to explain it all right now, even if I understood it. Evidently, the King's Guard at Moon's Eye has been corrupt for years. They've been well paid to see nothing of the holdfast smugglers. And the smugglers have seen to it that the men posted here enjoyed some of the better things in life. I gathered that Captain Mark enjoyed the best of the profits. He was not alone, but neither was he generous about sharing. Then Burl was sent here. He knew nothing of the arrangement. He brought a huge influx of soldiers with him and tried to impose military discipline here. Nick sold you to Mark, but when Nick was selling you to Mark, someone saw a chance to sell Mark and his arrangement to Burl. Burl saw a chance to take you and clean up a ring of smugglers. But Nick Holdfast and his clan had paid well for safe passage for the pilgrims. Then the soldiers broke faith with them, and the Holdfast promise to the pilgrims was broken as well. She shook her head. Her voice went tight. Some of the women were raped. One child died of the cold. One man will never walk again because he tried to protect his wife. For a time... The only sounds were the noises of the wagon and the distant roaring of the fires. Her eyes were very black as she looked back at the burning town. You've heard of honor among thieves? Well, Nick and his men have avenged theirs. I was still staring back at the destruction of Moon's Eye. I cared not a whit for Burl and his pharaoh men, but there had been merchants there, and traders, families and homes. The flames were devouring them all and six duchy soldiers had raped their captives as if they were lawless raiders instead of king's guards. Six duchy soldiers serving a six duchy's king. I shook my head. Shrewd would have hanged them all. Starling cleared her throat. Don't blame yourself, she told me. I learned long ago not to blame myself for evil done to me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't even your fault. You were just the catalyst that started the chain of events. Don't call me that, I begged her. The wagon rumbled on, carrying us deeper into the night. There's kind of a lot to unpack here, I think. First of all, this 
symbiotic relationship that the corrupt guards had with Nick and his family. Yes. This has been going on for a long time, probably immediately following Chivalry's departure. Maybe longer, maybe less. We don't know. But it is interesting that the corruption was there before Regal. Regal doesn't have a hand in all the corruptness going on. He can't possibly... No, he's not the source of all evil and no. <laughs> corruption in the success. It'd make things a lot easier if he <laughs> if he was, because he's going to die. But no, there is just corruption everywhere. But it is interesting to see when a new type of corruption. I don't even know if I can say that necessarily. But when the lawful evil comes marching into town, yes, <laughs> chaotic evil is not thrilled. Or neutral, even. So. Yeah, it's. Interesting to me, though, that Burl tried to impose military law. Yeah. It makes me wonder if Burl knows that the Kingsguard are just kind of bullying people out of their money and throwing them in jail for no reason. Or if Burl truly believes King Regal can do no wrong, so all these people are honorable. Like, that's how he knew the guards to be when... Before he served under Regal, that's how things were before Regal was king. So it's not impossible to think that Burl genuinely believes the guards are all still good, honorable men. And that's why he's like, I don't think he's stupid, though. No, he's proved that he's smart. So I I feel like going there and already kind of stating to Fitz, like, I got the dregs of all of (laughs) of them. He's trying to create something out of something workable out of them. Right. So he would try to keep them disciplined anyways. Right. And since he can't take his frustrations out on Regal, he takes them out on the people lower than him. People that are in his control. Yeah. Very Regal approach. Bully chain. Yep. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that there is a possibility that Earl is actually trying to do right with what little he can. And he did treat Fitz nicely better than... The rest of the group got treated, which is a little rough for poor Fitz to find out. I am sure Mm -hmm. that, I mean, other than being extremely boring, it was pretty uneventful. And these other people did not have the same treatment. No. And I don't think Burl would have ordered that to happen. He probably turned a blind eye because let's be real. But he probably doesn't concern himself after they were caught. He's just like, well, it's done. Yeah. I don't know. It's really sad that that had to happen. And I feel really bad for Starling because she has to talk about this while watching a city burn, which has to bring back memories of her own assault (laughs) and her time with the Raiders. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think the setting in itself. So like I said earlier, it was insane to me that Fitz was able to keep calm in this cage. I think it's pretty impressive that Starling walked into a burning village where people who would not hesitate to hurt her. She knows for a fact she like walked in all calm and confident. and was ready to break Fitz out of prison. Yeah. I think it's really admirable. It is admirable. And it's also impressive. Her, mental fortitude to say i learned long ago not to blame myself yeah for these because it isn't my fault which is it's a step that a lot of people struggle to take and it's a step that Birik never takes it's a step that fits really struggles to take a lot of the time sometimes he does you know forgive himself but not very often for things 
it's a common theme in a lot of the farseer men or the farseer adjacent men that we see. <laughs> and to see something plainly spoken out that Fitz should take to heart is nice to see early on, even though right. it's sad that he doesn't take that to heart. I actually love Starling's advice of like, you cannot blame yourself for bad things other people do. It has nothing to do with you. It's not something that you made happen. Right. It just happened to you. I don't know. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I This is so hard because I know Starling has bad qualities and I know later she gets to a point where it's She's like human. annoying and whatever. It, but like right now I just like her so much and it like is sad to me that people don't like her. And I know that the context is important that like we're looking at the whole of her mostly when we say we don't like her. But right now she's so good. She's so good. Yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> I don't know. Which is why I think it becomes so frustrating later on when she's That's so fair. stubborn about things. It's her fatal flaw is her stubbornness. Yeah. It's her Achilles heel. Her arrogance and <laughs> knowing that she's right. Yeah. Or I mean, we've already right. seen Yeah, we've already <laughs> seen the snippets of her doing that that it has been annoying. But I feel like up until this point, the annoyingness is outweighed by her good deeds and her strength and like the good qualities of her. Mm -hmm. Even though I, I pointed out all those sections, I don't think they were annoying. I just wanted to point them out because it's a character trait that is continued through and yes. just hinted at at the beginning, which I thought was super cool from Hob to do. Yeah. Just those little oh. points of like, how did you know that before <laughs> I told you kind of thing? Right. I, I find the underlying mood that that comes with as a little annoying okay. but i th i find it doesn't you know i was more focused on like the literary technique of it right instead right. of like the actual no that's super trait. good <laughs> anyways yeah. yeah this is a this is a very it's a it's it's a hard chapter because so much tragedy is revealed and happens surrounding fits and yet fits is once again free right so it, it's kind of a he's happy extremely bitter kind of sweet yeah <laughs> it's i don't know this chapter, I, i'm not gonna call him happy at this one no i was more making a joke yeah um i think that this chapter is really interesting to me because it feels like we just got like a history dump for a place we're never gonna talk about again uh which is true <laughs> i think it's brought up in passing but yeah yeah we don't really we don't spend time here yeah I, I think this is the last visit to moon's eye um unless they stop back through on their way back but they they go through it in the last trilogy as well oh on the way up to kelsingra i'm pretty sure like it's mentioned you know like mm -hmm. it's 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 talked about ah. but oh no i think they use a skill pillar then yeah but it, I know it's mentioned right. in other books. It's just we never stop or spend time at yeah. Moon's Eye. So I don't know. I just find that interesting that I mean, like I cared about these people and the character. It's such good writing. And this is such a colorful town that we're dropped into the middle of for two seconds. And then we're not really going to visit it again. But it's still you can still like imagine it as a place going forward and like think about how they'd have to rebuild and like maybe now it won't be as bad i don't know <laughs> very unclear but i don't know i just think it's really cool that robin hobb has this style of writing of 
the in-depthness of everything. Like the brief in-depth yes. <laughs> sections. Because then it just disappears again. Yeah. But like in the back of your head, it could be there. Yeah. I don't know. I really like it. I really enjoy it. I wouldn't say this is like a favorite chapter of mine by any means, but I do think it is a change of pace. There's a little bit more action. We're getting back into the action stuff, um, but it still has that sadness, the loneliness and some kick butt women coming to save Fitz. So <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> and thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us rant this week. If you have any comments to say, please go to our website, isfitshappy.com, and we have all of our links up there. You can email us directly, isfitshappy at gmail.com, and listen to us on whatever app you want. I believe we're on everything. If you have any requests for us or any particular app that we are not located on, let us know. I can try to sort that out for you guys. (laughs) Thanks so much. Yeah, see you next week. feel like I should have like cool intro music or something but you just get drum beats instead <laughs> my mind went <laughs> into a band nerd thing and I like immediately was like you mean like the cadences uh no probably not because you've never been in marching band so true <sighs> sad anyway Um, This is the portion where we get to talk about things that you guys have brought to our attention, which is personally my favorite part. Not that I don't love talking about the book. I just... She hates talking to me. That's it. I like bringing someone else into this conversation. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) I just really enjoy hearing other people's opinions and seeing, like, if you guys think we're crazy or not, which um, so far nobody has called us crazy, which is very kind of all of you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Our first comment here is on Facebook from uh, our good friend Ellen. This is on episode 80, our last episode. And it's particularly talking about our discussion on the epigraph, the first part of that, where we were discussing the Out Islanders' view on Ida and their disdain for the land dwellers and all that. We we're kind of having a, you know, a back and forth of why do they think that if they're so matriarchal? And- exactly. Yeah. And Ellen brought up a fantastic point that I hadn't thought of in that discussion is that most of our assumptions about those epigraphs are they are writings from Tom Badgerlock after this book, but it's before Tawny Man, so he has no context whatsoever of their culture. All he knows is the stories from the Six Duchies that they are seafaring raiders. They don't know too much about how... They have mother houses and how they till the land in these warm valleys. All oh. they know is the disdain that they have for the six touchies. Yeah. What a great point, Ellen. Um, thank you, because I regularly forget that my full knowledge of the entire series is not yet available to young fans. Right, right. <laughs> I often forget that it's like 30-year-old Fitz writing these or we, what we assume to be him writing these. It could be when he's 27. <laughs> okay. It could also be somebody else completely. Uh, yeah. We have no idea. I don't but, think it's fully confirmed. Yes, but I, I think m- 
it's a good chance that the majority are from Tom Badgerlock, at least. Right. <laughs> I think in the later books, she starts to specifically call out writings from people. Like, yes. this is an excerpt from The Old Blood by Tom Badgerlock. Or this mm-hmm. is from, what's the guy's, the skill guy's name? Like, Tree something. I never read the names. Straight okay. up going to tell you right now. <laughs> I didn't read the names. I was like, oh, good. It's It says who did it. And then I didn't care. Did you read the uh, the epigraphs in Live Ship Trader, though, and read like the names of like the bird keepers? Nope. <laughs> That's such a cool story. Are you kidding me? They get married, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's so good. <laughs> oh, That's a great I'm not, like, story I'm not trying about to say a story. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that I like skip details when I read because I don't. In like but. the story, <laughs> um, but if it's an epigraph, there's a really high chance that I have skimmed and not actually read most of the details. Wow, um, so except rude. for now, these ones I'm reading in depth for kind of the first time. <laughs> well, we will read through them, I guess. Everybody, don't be surprised when I'm shocked at the love story unfolding between the pigeon keepers. <laughs> uh, <sighs> all right. <laughs> So thank you, Ellen, for reminding us that um I think that's live ship or maybe that's it could be the I think it's the Rainwild Traders or Rainwild Chronicles. Chronicles. I think it's the later one too, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's when they need the pigeons mm-hmm. more. Anyways, yeah. So thank you, Ellen. We also got a very interesting email from Tyler. Uh he was letting us or no, I guess reminding us <laughs> that um, Fitz doesn't have a super healthy relationship with love. Um, this is in context of Fitz and Molly's relationship that it is super unhealthy. And essentially like Molly is the first person to say to Fitz out loud. I love you that we know of <laughs> if anybody else has said it, Fitz has not told us um, right. and he doesn't have any memories of his mom that he has shared with the group. So, <laughs> um, so really this is the first time he's ever heard that word. He is so needy and young and doesn't have super great examples of love because up until this point, love has been something that is earned. It's contractual. There is, yeah. you earn it. It's not just freely given. And even well, Tyler says patience might be an exception to that rule. I think that patience also doesn't have a super great showing of love to Fitz. She not doesn't. because no. not because she like is a horrible person, but I just don't think her love style fits what Fitz needs. Right. It it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> um and not because I think she's like holding him to high standards, but I think because of the context of his upbringing, he thinks that she wants him to live up to a standard to be able to be loved. And I think she just wants him to have fun and doesn't know how to communicate that. Anyway, that's wants a little to off topic. She and off topic as well. Here. <laughs> but a little she, tangent. she and Birik, I believe, are very similar in their wants for what for Fitz. They both want him to turn out to be like chivalry more so Hmm. patience wants him trained up as a prince she wants the full education for him she wants him accepted into the royal family to be given everything that he deserves as a child of chivalry as her adopted child because she looks at him like her son right right biric 
has repeatedly said, you have to turn out like chivalry or else. <laughs> like, this is my this is my command. Like, I'm going to make you into chivalry. Otherwise, I fail. I don't the, think it. They're very similar. It, they are definitely very similar. But I don't think it's fair to say the patience wants him to be more like chivalry. I think she just wants him to be chivalry's official son. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. Have have chivalry's advantages and everything like that. Yes. And I think that's what Beric wants as well. Right. So I, I just think they're very similar in their yeah, end goals. Definitely. And they're way more similar people than they will say, even though right. if they both know it deep down. Right. But it was oh, it I, was a very good point from Tyler anyway, mm-hmm. that um his love examples aren't great, and that's probably what leads to the toxicity of his and Molly's relationship. But, but he does believe that they do have a true love. Yeah. He, and that's why they get back together later. Right. Like he doesn't think it's it's all sex. It's <laughs> presumably something more there because they do get together and stay married after Bjork's death. Yes. And, and I think Robin Hobb has commented on that as well, that right. it is a tr- like they do love each other deeply and it's like a true right. love kind of thing. I will say that he also points out that Molly also has some shortcomings that she has trauma blocking her from being able to have a mature type, a mature type of love, um, which is a good point that it's not just fits with the problems and Tyler did not insinuate that it is all Fitz's fault. <laughs> um, but that they are, they do need to grow and because of the growth are good together. He also does say that, he still thinks that Fitz and Ketrickin would have made a good match. So all those Fitz and Ketrickin stands can can be reassured. <laughs> <laughs> that actually f- ties into a stray comment. I think we might have talked about it a little bit before from. Oh, let me bring it up before I. Is this on Instagram? Is, no, this is on Facebook. Oh. Um, make sure I don't miss a name or anything like that (laughs) bear with me i believe it is from i believe it's from irene on episode 77 yes i believe we talked about this briefly how she appreciates starling uh starling's confidence Mm -hmm. uh, on the rereads more so and that's why she was kind of annoyed by her probably in her first reading because (laughs) wants to be a little bit more like Starling, but she has a secondary comment on this that says also, I suddenly remembered that during my first reading, it has been comforting to see Molly and Burek's relationship growing into something more romantic. Maybe they don't love each other passionately, but after everything that Molly has been through, it was nice to read that she could finally find some peace which uh, you had responded to her saying that it was a much more mature relationship and much more a much more healthy view yeah <laughs> on relationships a lot more trusting a lot more built on friendship and um comfort and and you know also someone to lean on yeah someone i think it's super important that burek acknowledges that Molly is capable of things to her face and says, yeah, I know you can do this, but let me do it because I can do it better or whatever. Like, yeah. I or think, like you need to sleep. Yeah. Like. <laughs> or like you can't do everything all the time. You have to let somebody help you, which saddens me a little bit because I feel like Burek wasn't as direct with Fitz in that way. 
because I don't think necessarily that type of love is a romantic love. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I don't want to insinuate that I think Bjork should have showed romantic love to his son. Um, but I do think it's sad that this type of love and friendship of I'm going to say out loud that I think you are capable, that I want to help wasn't necessarily something Bjork did very much for his own son. And yet here he is doing that for this woman who he comes to, Mm -hmm. I think, love later. I don't know now that he loves her, but I think she's pretty and, you know, useful. I don't (laughs) mean useful is not a good word to use. That was a weird descriptor. No, (laughs) I don't know. She's competent. Yes. I don't know. They are a good match together. Yeah. So they needed that time apart. And like Tyler's email says, they do have a true love for one another, but they needed to mature a little bit more. Right. To be healthy for each other. And for Fitz, that took, you know, 15 years plus getting all of his pain back to process (laughs) that. And then still took a very long time to not press Molly into anything with writing letters and sending gifts and things like that. So it eventually blossomed into something great. But they did need the time. They did. They needed it. And finally, uh, we wanted to talk about an email that a listener, Krista, sent us, which is awesome. I'm so glad that this email got sent to us. Um, (laughs) Krista let us know that a few episodes ago, or I guess this is a while ago, (laughs) um, there we talk about a bed with a feather bed on it. Yes. Directly quoted from the text and how we thought that that must be a typo. Why on earth would you say a bed with a feather bed? And they let us know that this is actually something that would need to be clarified back in the olden days, because typically a bed was made out of hay. So they would have a bed of hay and then put a bed made out of feathers on top of it. So probably this was insulation and yeah, this is probably what it meant when they said a bed with a feather bed. Um, And Krista also let us know that they had to look this up too, because they also thought it sounded weird. So they remembered it when we brought it up and wanted to let us know. So thank you so much, Krista. I am so happy to know that little nugget of wisdom. Yes. Um, So thank you, everyone who wrote in or commented on our socials. As always, we love to see it. We like hearing your guys' thoughts and opinions, and we hope to hear more from you guys next week. 